Thank you for downloading this episode of Folk on Foot. Before we start, I just wanted to share a brief message. If you like what we do, we really need your support to keep going. You can join our wonderful band of members and you'll get great rewards. These include access to our amazing Folk on Foot on Film archive of hundreds of songs shot on location on our travels around the UK and Ireland. To sign up, just go to folkonfoot.com slash support us. You'll also get an ad-free version of all our episodes and an email postcard from me each time we go on a walk. If you just want the ad-free version, it'll cost you £3 a month and you can get it through your Apple Podcast app or at folkonfoot.com slash support us. Finally, if you don't want to make a regular commitment but do want to show how much you love us, you can simply buy us a coffee. You can also do that at folkonfoot.com slash support us. Every penny we get goes back into making more episodes of Folk on Foot. So thank you and enjoy the walk. One of the most beautiful albums I've heard recently was The Eternal Rocks Beneath by Catherine Priddy. And I think I'm right in saying it's the only debut album to have gone to number one in the official folk albums chart. And it is just a beautiful piece of songwriting and performance. And we're delighted that today we're going to be walking with Catherine, starting in the village of Alverchurch in Worcestershire and ending up in Tanworth in Arden in Warwickshire which is where Nick Drake is buried. And Catherine is going to reveal to us the details of a project that involves her recording a Nick Drake song. But there's much more to her story than that, and we'll hear it all in this walk. Good morning. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, lovely to see you. <laughs> where you? have you brought us to? You're on the Alchurch Canal, which is where I've grown up. Not on the canal, but just next to it. And uh, I've always walked along here and always fancied a canal boat of my own one day. Yeah, because there's a couple of rather nice looking barges <laughs> here, aren't there? Yeah. One of them's a bit dilapidated, but it's the other one further on looks yeah. very inviting. There are some very inviting ones, but no, if you keep walking along here, eventually you'll get to Birmingham. Um, and Alvechurch is what kind of place? What, what kind of village was it to grow up in? Lovely. I realise it because it's quite quiet and sleepy, but you've got access to Birmingham, as you know, having just got the train from Birmingham. It's easy to get into the city, but when you're out here, it's just nice and peaceful. It is absolutely yeah. peaceful, isn't it? Nice and, place to grow up. And tell us about your your start in music. We, we, do you come from a musical family? I wouldn't say a musical family per se. I'm the only like musician. My brother played. We, we both were brought up listening to a lot of music. There was always a record on, which I suppose is a big help. What um, sort of record? Everything. So anything from classical to Frank Zappa to death metal to folk music like everything so that we were always listening to music and my dad always left the guitar in arm's reach I think with the hope that one day I might pick it up which I did I played it upside down for a while because I didn't upside which, down yeah, I didn't know which way you were supposed to hold it so I taught myself <laughs> the wrong way up and then 
And did yeah. your dad play? Uh, he does play, yeah, he plays a little bit. So did he teach you at first? No, no, I taught myself and he watched on encouragingly. <laughs> <laughs> They've always been encouraged from a distance, parents, which is really nice. They've always been really supportive, which I feel very grateful for. And so, yeah. were there things that you particularly fixated on amongst that eclectic mix of music? Were there things that stood out for you when you were younger? Yeah, I think I've always liked lyrics and I, I think when I was younger, particularly the folk music stuff, really interested me in terms of the stories. I remember that I was absolutely terrified of a Steel Ice Band song. Is it Long Lankin? Oh yes. And I remember things like that really, I don't know if that stuck out in a good way, but I remember that absolutely terrifying me when I was younger. And I think, um, so yeah, I think the lyrics always stood out, but that was a lot in the prog stuff that my dad would listen to. It was all very lyric led. So I enjoyed all so that. So the power of the storytelling and the, uh, and the imagery were what attracted you? I think so. And I think that is probably what led me to folk music in the end, was all the stories. And I think even if my songs aren't always kind of folky folk, I think they'll, they'll always have that storytellingness. Yeah. And did you, when you first started out, did you try to play folk songs or did you try to play songs by other people? I just played anything, to be honest. So when I, when I started, I just started playing songs I'd heard on the radio. And then I got myself a little Irish guitar songbook, which is where I learned to finger pick. And then I started writing my own bits and pieces. So what, what age were you when you first wrote a song? 14, maybe. I think there were some songs on the first album, which were when I was really young. Really? Yeah. So you, you, songs that you'd written when you were a teenager? Yeah. Right. Because yeah. um, sometimes when you look back on songs you've written when you were a teenager, you were a bit embarrassed. But you had some... <laughs> you obviously some. had some... No, but listening to the album, you obviously had some amazing <laughs> talent at that age. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just enjoyed doing it. But no, there's, there's some, I think, Indigo, which turned out to be the lead single, was one of the earliest songs I wrote. Would you sing that later for us? Yes, and that's the hill I'm going to take you up to. Um, Quite busy this morning, isn't it? That's what I'm saying, yeah, this bit does get really busy Lots with dog joggers walkers. joggers and dog walkers. Where I'm going to take you should be really quiet, because <laughs> it's in the fields. Um, uh, so yeah. you were started to write, and you said the lyrics are really important, and obviously listening to your music, there's a lot of poetic imagery. Were you reading poetry as well? when you were a teenager? Um, yeah, I was doing a lot of reading. I come from a, a long line of book lovers. My grandpa was a book trader and my mum always worked in the book trade as well. So, Morning. so there's always been a lot of books and I, I read a lot as a kid and I went and studied literature at uni. So who were, the, who were the favourite authors when you were a teenager? Uh, when I was a teenager, I loved Mallory Blackman. When I was younger, I loved Michael Morpurgo. But I really liked all the classics as well. I think Jane Eyre was the first book I read that really got me into kind of literature. Uh, I got really excited about that book. But to be honest, when I was younger, it was just anything I could get my hands on. I was little Matilda, just racing through them. And Eternal Rocks Beneath is a quote, isn't it? That's the name of your album. It is, yes. It's a quote from Wuthering Heights, which is my favourite book. And she describes Heathcliff as like the eternal rocks beneath of little visible delight but necessary that's her love i thought that was such a nice description and it felt like a good a good name for a debut album that kind of is the first thing and it's going to be at the baseline it's the bedrock for everything else so we've actually stopped now outside a pub called the crown inn just yeah. by the canal yeah and this is a great place for a song what, what would you like to sing for us well i thought i would sing since we were talking a little bit about wuthering heights i thought i would sing wolf which was the title track from the debut ep which i think came out in 2018. i wrote that 
kind of inspired by the character of Heathcliff. I was doing my A-levels at the time, and it's the first time I'd read Wuthering Heights, and I was just so taken with the whole book and the world, so it was inspired by that. My lovely chase is more light over heath and over heather Overthrows the starlight as he hails the stormy weather Eyes are like two pools of pink into which I seem to drown Why is it I love him when his only pleasure's pulling me back down? Stay with me till morning Shiver in his stone embrace And watch the daylight dawning When he leaves his shadow stains The hollow he has made No, he is the devil's own But oh my God, I only wish he'd stayed Oh, won't you stay? That's a beautiful song, and it's got a slightly wacky video. It has got a slightly wacky video, <laughs> yes. Tell us about what that. happens in the video. <laughs> we hired out an old kind of industrial space in Digbeth in Birmingham, and we thought it would be really fun to go and smash up some china and stuff, so we, uh, I borrowed a baseball bat off my mum's friends. We got a load of china from a charity shop. We just had a brilliant afternoon smashing it up in slow motion. It looked incredibly it therapeutic. Incredibly therapeutic. I would. I think you can pay to go into space to do this now. I think there's smash rooms or something where you can go and 
pay to smash things, but yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. I mean, actually, there's very little relevance to the song in yeah, a way. Yeah, kind of. It was more just because the song's more about being in a kind of love-hate relationship and all the kind of frustration that comes with that. So I guess that's partly why I wanted to do it. But equally, we, we kind of wanted to do it just to surprise people because <laughs> I think again, I've always been quite keen not to get too sucked into kind of folky stereotypes and things. And so we thought, well, what people expect is me walking through the woods with my guitar, kind of gently strumming my guitar in a cornfield or something. But what they don't expect is me smashing China in Digbeth. So that's what we... Um... Well, it had the desired effect on me, because when I first <laughs> saw it, I was like, well, this is completely different from anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, it and, was really and, good and it was very memorable. And then, of course, I went back to watch it again to listen to the song properly, having watched the images uh, <laughs> rather than listen to the song. So it was, it was beautiful. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, I recommend it. If you're ever feeling pent up, go and uh, get yourself I a baseball bat. Yeah. We had a lot of YouTube comments of people going... Where are your safety goggles? I would like to say I was wearing safety goggles. We just did some clever cut shots where you couldn't see the goggles. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, goggles were worn at all times. So, so yes. we're going to walk into the village now and through yeah. the other side. But is it a historic village? The central bit is. Obviously, this bit's quite new. But yeah, so the bit where I grew up in is right in the middle where all the houses are very old and some Tudor buildings and things. My house has a, has a long history. I think it was a sweet shop once. Um, I think someone was hanged in the house once. I think hanged in the house? Yeah, yeah, I think so. What, as a punishment? Or I've just... no idea. I've no what? idea. And I do you feel know. any kind of spirit when you're in there? Mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I think I've lived in there too long. Maybe they're bored of me. I don't think they visit me anymore. Um, but yes, <laughs> well, that's, that's a bit spooky, isn't it? I mean, someone actually <laughs> hanged in your house. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so, just to go back to your story then, you're a teenager, you've taken up the guitar, yeah. You're starting to write songs. Yeah. Did you start to perform when you were in your teens as well? A little bit. In our church, in, in this village, there was a folk club and I started playing there very reluctantly. I was really shy about it, but they were really encouraging. And I did a music GCSE which required you to do a performance, so I had to play a song just between me and the teacher then. But I was, I was really, really shy about it for a really, really long time. Why was that? Um, I don't know, I just didn't think I was any good. I think it was classic teenage angst. I thought I was a bit rubbish. And, and then the school encouraged me to sign up to this competition that was run by the Brits called The Next Brit Thing. And uh, to my horror, I kept getting through and I kept <laughs> passing to the next stage of the competition. So ridiculously, my first actual performance outside my village was at the O2 in London in front of McFly. Really? They were judging. <laughs> that is extraordinary. <laughs> so I w- wandered on stage and sang one of my own songs. What did yeah. that feel like? Uh, terrifying. <laughs> but it was what the, the funny thing is, my hands had always shaken uncontrollably when I was performing, and I'd always had to sit down because my knees would shake so much. That was the first time ever that my hands didn't shake, and I think it just almost scared me so much that you went over the other side. Yeah, <laughs> my hands haven't really shaken since. So. Well, that's occurred yeah. you. So, yeah. was there a huge audience in there? Uh, fairly. I mean, a lot of it was. My school brought down a little minibus. <laughs> <laughs> of pupils from the music department to come and watch. I remember my head teacher shoving a camera at me through the door to try and get a video of me with McFly. It was very surreal, very odd. Yeah. But, and so did you yeah. actually win that competition? No, no, I was a runner-up. Um, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's but, amazing. Well, yeah, what a, what a baptism of fire to start like that. And you said you start. played at the folk club here in the village. Yes. What sort of people were playing the folk club Just at that local. time? 
local people from the village. Right, so they've opened Mike Knight type Yeah, thing. pretty yeah. much. I think it's called Acoustic Roots. I think they still do it, actually. Um, so, oh, actually, we'll just cross here. Okay. And I think you played alongside some other people from the folk world, didn't you? Yes, well, early doors. or yeah. yeah, so over the years I've played with Vashti Bunyan, which was really exciting because she doesn't really perform anymore. I think that was a bit of a one-off show, and I supported her there. I think Michael Chapman was my first support slot. Then Richard Thompson, I've done quite a lot with him since. Um, yeah. So so these are pretty amazing, amazing Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we're, we're stepping away from the village a little bit and down a, a, a small road yes. towards a beautiful wooded hill. Yes. What's that hill? So that is Newborn Hill and it's on the way to Rowney Green, which is the neighbouring village. And that's where, growing up, my best friend lived in Rowney Green, so just always been around here. We were either walking the dogs. This hill specifically also became, that's where people would go for, you know, sneaky snog or a sneaky smoke or something when we were a little bit older. And it was the, the setting for Indigo, which was the lead single from my first album. So I figured that would be a Oh, that would be nice wonderful place. to hear that song in the place nice that inspired place it. Yeah. But are you, a, are you a big walker yourself? Yeah, I love walking. As a kid, I was obsessed with insects and birds, and I still am. I really like going out and spotting wildlife. It's my favourite way to spend a day, really, is doing a big hike somewhere. What sort of hikes have you done, then? Well, I'm currently doing Offers Dyke with my dad, which is one of the... I think it's 177 miles. It's the old border of England and Wales. And you're supposed to do it on consecutive days, but me and my dad are doing it as like a little walking challenge thing where we're doing 12 miles and then starting again where we left off, slowly ticking that off together. So you're not at all daunted by a 12 mile hike? No, no, it's a good challenge. We're just coming up towards quite a big road, but we're going to go across that and up the hill, aren't we? We're going to go underneath and then carry on into the fields, yeah. That's the only problem in our church is you are surrounded, we've got the motorway really close by, so you can never really escape that. Yeah, so what is it about walking that really gets under your skin? What is it that you love so much about it? It just clears my head completely. I think when I'm walking around, it makes me feel relaxed. I like the fact that it's a slow activity, so you're taking in everything as you go. And it's just a really nice way to see the country. I think we're really, really, really lucky in the UK to have so many footpaths and places that we can walk. Uh, Two horses horses. coming towards us now. And with riders. Yeah, (laughs) we better let them go past. You wouldn't want to tangle with them, would you? They're a lot bigger than us. I'm quite scared of horses, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I don't mind them on the other side of a fence, but... Um, they seemed un- well under control. They were wet very well. They were well under control. No, fine. We're actually going under the road now, so you'll notice that the sound <laughs> changes and you get this wonderful echo from the tunnel as we pass under the main road. I've always had a music video idea that I want to do on a canal boat going through a really long tunnel like that. With the, with the lights? You need yeah, lights, don't you? candles going underneath one of the old long, there's a really long canal bridge between our church and Tardy Big. And I've always fancied going through there on a boat and recording something that lasts for the length of the tunnel. Well, that's Might a wonderful quite... idea. It might take, yeah. if you have to do several takes, it could yeah. be a bit cumbersome, couldn't it? <laughs> it could be a little bit. <laughs> a lot of reversing. <laughs> Probably have to find someone to punt the boat as well, because I reckon the motor would be too, too much loud. noise from the motor, yeah. yeah, so you'd have someone punting. No, God, we'd have a crew of thousands on this one. Oh no. <laughs> I'm hoping there might be some lambs. I don't know if it's going to be too early for lambs. 
Well, it's March now, isn't it? So they should be coming soon. So we're talking about how you started performing. Yeah. I was doing open mics for a while and I was really lucky to meet my manager, John Fell. And he always said, go off, go to uni, go and do whatever it is you need to do, go and do some travelling, get it all done. He said, but at some point you've got to come back and record an album and then we'll see what happens. So that's what I did. And were you still writing during that time at yeah, uni? Yeah, on and off, on and off, while I could. Because I was studying literature, so the more you're reading, the more you write sometimes, so... That was all really helpful. And is the songwriting process a struggle for you, or is it just something that flows out of you? Um, I'd love to say that I've got a really great songwriting process, but I don't. Sometimes I'll go for ages and feel like I can't do anything, and then when a song does happen, it tends to happen really quickly. I think I wrote Wolf in about five minutes in the end, even though I'd been playing around with the idea for ages, and then it suddenly all just happened. So does it mull around in your head? Yeah, a little bit. I have loads and loads of notes of fragments of lyrics and I've got lots and lots of little guitar riffs and then it's just the process of trying to match up the right one <laughs> so I don't really have a definite process but that's something I really want to work on <laughs> I think I just need to start sitting down more regularly with the just writing something whether it's bad or good just exercising that muscle a bit more and when you look at the lyrics are you hoping that they could stand alone without the music, that they are, in effect, poetry. Yeah. The lyrics are just the most important bit for me, so I always want that to feel like something special in itself. Because it's definitely the thing I always look for when I'm finding music I like, is the lyrics. Now, we're climbing up a hill now, which is why I'm a bit out of breath. (laughs) Let's get through this gate. Uh, Someone coming. He's doing laps. This is so impressive. A man has just run down the hill towards us, and now he's running back up again. I think he's done that three times while we were walking up there as well. I'm not sure he's training. Let's just take it steady, Catherine. Please don't start running. We don't have to try and compete, yeah, do we? <laughs> so you've got all these songs together. Yeah. How did they eventually become the Eternal Rocks Beneath? Well, it was a bit of a here, there and everywhere process, because I hadn't been in a studio before, and like I said, I was kind of finishing off uni... And it was done in fragments over a couple of years alongside the EP, which came out in 2018. And we thought we'd put the EP out as an experiment. And I didn't really have any expectations. And then the EP did quite well. Very well, in fact. It was, <laughs> it was rapturously received, I think it's fair to say. thanks to a certain Mr Thompson, I think. Who, well, um, Richard Thompson said it was the best thing he'd he heard all year in Mojo magazine, didn't he? Did. he? And I still don't know how he got a copy, but... I'm very grateful. So after that, we thought, okay, let's do a full, full shebang. So yeah, how did about you find learning the recording process? A bit tricky in parts because I never really did any theory. And I'm self-taught, and I think sometimes I feel like a fraud because I don't have the musical language to describe what I want. People go in and they talk about all these different kind of triads and tones and all this theoretical language, which I just don't have. So it was all very new, but also very exciting because it was the first time I'd been able to flesh out these ideas myself. And to hear Um, other musicians making their contribution. Yeah, yeah, because it'd always just been me in my bedroom. So suddenly to have a full sound was really exciting. It was like a playground. It was really good fun. Now I wonder if we, as we reach towards the top of the hill, 
head for that bench, yes. we could hear the stripped back sound <laughs> yeah. of you and the guitar. Would that be okay? Yeah, once I've had a little breather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before you start singing. Yeah. yeah, so this, see like the skeleton of the old, there's an old tree here in the bushes. That used to be a huge tree that had been felled and it sprawled across all of this bit. And it was a climbing frame for years and years and years. And it was always here, and we always climbed it. And then when I was a teenager, like I said, this is always where we used to come out and hang out. And then one day it got cut down. It was really sad. And that was what Indigo was kind of inspired by. You were raised in a forest, it grew straight and tall. As you weaved through the trunks, you felt desperately small. And taller you grew.
That was absolutely beautiful. And to hear it sung here... Have you sung it here before? I don't think I have, you know. Under the shadow of the no, tree that it's about. That's nice. With an accompaniment <laughs> from a magpie. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's little birds twittering away. No, but the, it's not a magpie on the album. It's a blackbird, isn't black it? Bird, so you, yeah. you use the sound of a blackbird and, and blend it into yeah, the music. Why I, did you do that? I got it at the beginning and the end of the album because I love the song of the blackbird. And for me, because so many of those songs I wrote when I was young and they're kind of rooted in childhood. And I think that's a, a theme throughout the album, really, is that kind of growing up, I suppose. But... Um, when I was little and going to bed, the blackbird was always, they always seemed to be the last bird to be singing in the evening. And they always seemed to be singing loudest in the morning. So I was always going to sleep to the sound of the blackbird and waking up to the sound of the blackbird. So whenever I hear a blackbird now, I just instantly, I don't know, I just feel like I'm six again and in my parents' you know, house listening to that. So it's just a really, really nostalgic sound for me. It was wonderful. Well, let's, let's walk on. to the very pretty village of Tamworth in Arden, which is not far from our church. And it's famous because this is where singer and songwriter Nick Drake grew up and lived. And near here, his life ended when he was just 26. And uh, he, it's a very beautiful spot, isn't it, Catherine? It's really lovely. lovely houses. It feels like the sort of place if I, uh, if I sold a few more albums, I'd quite like to end up one day but we'll see and they still have Nick Drake gatherings here don't they yeah once a year people from all over the world actually travel to Tamworth and Arden and they travel here and sing his songs for a couple of days in In the the village village hall hall just across the road here Uh, yes in the village hall and in the church which is where he's buried yes yeah so people gather and they sing their own songs inspired by Nick Drake and they sing some of his ones as well and how did you first come into contact with his music? Did, did your mum and dad have albums? Yeah, yes, my parents are big fans. And when I first got a little MP3 player, I put a lot of my dad's CDs onto it. And I remember listening to Five Leaves Left just on repeat. It's one of the first times I'd really just listened to an album just back to back again and again and again. I just loved it, the lyrics, the melodies. It's just a... Yeah, really, really beautiful, beautiful album. And so. did the fact that he came from here also strike a chord with you? I think so. I mean, he's often a name that's mentioned by people. I suppose people are very proud to have Nick Drake from around here. So I think he's always been a name that I'd heard growing up. And it's nice, when, particularly when you get into music yourself, to know that that's sort of, I guess, the heritage of the area, those sorts of musicians, so it's cool. And I wonder if you identify with him as somebody who writes very poetic and very personal lyrics um yeah i mean his lyrics are stunning they were definitely a great source of inspiration for me it's hard not to listen to nick drake's music and look at it through the lens of his ending and i think that sometimes his songs can all sound very sad and very haunted and very tragic but actually i don't think his songs are that i think there's a lot of them are just about him being quite peaceful and quite reclusive i think it's important to try to listen to his songs through that lens as well and during lockdown, you and John Wilkes got together with some other musicians and, did. and, and put some Nick Drake songs <laughs> online, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so John got in touch with me. I think once we'd all kind of realised that lockdown wasn't going to lift anytime soon, and obviously we'd all lost a lot of work, 
John got in touch with me and with Lucas Drinkwater and John Nice because he knows that we're all fans of Nick Drake. And it was the first time really that because lockdown had kind of meant that we were all just sat around with very little to do, it's the first time we actually had a chance to really make a lot of music together. So we just thought it'd be fun to do a Nick Drake song and put it out there. I think Mark Radcliffe played it on Radio 2 and yeah, everyone seemed to really like it. So we did do a couple more and I think they're all on Spotify now. But so. you've had another chance to cover a Nick Drake song in a really yes. major project that's going on at the moment, an album that's yeah. about to come out. Tell us about that project and the album. Yeah, so it's going to be called The Endless Coloured Ways and it is a collection of Nick Drake's songs done by lots and lots of different artists. Yeah, here's it. This is it. So we're just stopping there for a moment outside the house where Nick Drake lived and his family lived as Mm -hmm. well. And there's a blue plaque up on the side of the house. Mm -hmm. Beautiful house. It's it's a lovely big house. (laughs) And uh, big gates. Don't want to intrude too much. it's still lived in now. I remember it was on sale uh, not that long ago. So all the Nick Drake fans are enjoying having a little look around online. And do people make pilgrimages to come here, do you think? Yeah, well, like I said, for the Nick Drake gathering, everyone comes here once a year, and I think people kind of probably do come and have a little hang around outside the gates, but I always feel a little bit bad just because I know there's people still just living their own lives in there, but it's hard not to want to come and... If you're a big fan of his music, it's hard not to want to come and have a little look. And I think if we walk back into the centre of the village, we'll... Mm have a chance to visit his grave. Yeah, yeah. So let's do that while, while you tell us a little bit more about yes. this so it's album. Called, it's called The Endless Coloured Ways, released on Chrysalis Records. And it's been put together by Jeremy of Chrysalis and Callie, who looks after the Nick Drake estate now, along with Nick's sister. And the whole brief that we got given as artists was to take a Nick Drake song and completely you know, dismantle it, look at it in a completely different way, do whatever we want with it, make it entirely our own. To have no real loyalty to the original, I suppose. And that was a really exciting process because a lot of Nick Drake's music, there's a lot of fans who are, he's one of those kind of idolised musicians, and rightly so. And I think sometimes when that happens, people aren't a bit afraid of covering it because it almost feels untouchable. So it was really fun to be given permission to kind of just go ahead and do whatever we wanted with the songs. And um, There's some extraordinary names on this yeah, album, aren't there? Who, yeah. who else is doing it? Fontes DC, Guy Garvey, Bombay Bicycle Club, Aldous Harding, Feist, David Gray. Emily Sunday. <laughs> and, and also yeah. Kareem Polwart and Chris Dreamer yeah, have got together yeah, yeah, to yeah. do a song as yeah, well. Yeah, so so did you feel nervous about it? A little bit, but to be honest, I think it was just fun. I just wanted to have a go because I didn't know at the time who else they'd have involved. And I just thought it was going to be really good fun. And it was. It was nice to actually just take a song. It was Callie suggested this one for me because I've done, I think, They're Leaving Me Behind. And it's one of his oldest ones. And the original recording is so stripped back and so lo-fi. It just felt a bit like a blank canvas, really. So it was really nice to have that and to be able to just do what I wanted with it. And I did. So... I'm a little bit nervous about what the response will be, but I'm really proud of it. And in case anybody thinks we've got some coconut shells, that was actually that was a horse going past. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Would you sing it for us? Yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. The trunk moves on to the end of the street. I listen to the echo. Feet. For 
So were you nervous about some fans saying, well, you mustn't touch this music because it's, you know, it's sacrosanct? A little bit, because I know he's one of those people that people do feel very protective over, and rightly so. Um, his music's very special to a lot of people. And because he uses all these different tunings on his guitar, I think there's a lot of people who 
are obsessed with learning his songs exactly how he plays them and that's you know that's completely valid and that's totally fine I think for me I prefer to either listen to the original if I'm going to listen to a cover I want to hear something completely different because I find that interesting and I think that's a nice way to do it but equally there will be people who don't want to hear Nick Drake's songs covered and that's fine but it'd be nice to think that it could bring in some new fans for Nick's music because fans of Fontaine CC for example who might not have heard Nick Drake's music might now come to it and appreciate his songwriting and I think it's I think it's a good thing for the longevity of his music and I'd like to think if if it was me I'd love to think that my music was going and being played by all these people and many so, generations yeah, later as yeah, well and yeah it's, his music's inspiring it's have good. you heard what the other people have done with their no, songs no not yet I'm waiting for mine because my song um, is going to be released on a little single with a track from Guy Garvey and Mike Lindsay of Tongue and he uses Lump with uh, Laura Marling as well and so I'm waiting, I think they're posting me one so I can hear it, but I haven't actually heard anyone's yet. They've been really, really secretive about it. So I only know mine, so I'm really looking forward to hearing, hearing the others now. And why do you think his music continues to speak to us so powerfully? Um, I mean, I think the lyrics, again, I, I, I always seem to come back to lyrics, but there's something so personal about them and so raw and so honest. And I think that will always appeal to people. I guess there is also the fact that I think dying at a young age creates this kind of mystery and there's that maybe he can never, he'll never grow older and I don't know sometimes he'll always just be that young man making these amazing songs and there's that always that feeling of what could he have gone on to do and I think that appeals to people sometimes because he's just this perfect little moment I don't know sometimes you get these artists who maybe should have stopped <laughs> earlier on and you think oh so Rose and Nick Drake will never have that. He'll always just be this perfect kind of moment in and time. And he did create three really amazing albums. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, But I think, you know, his, his music's just raw and beautiful. And at the end of the day, I think that's that stands the test of time. So. And the quality of his voice is unique as I well, know, isn't it? I know, very recognisable. And I like the older recordings. I saw someone on... Facebook saying instead of a covers album they were wondering if they could just get some like remastered copies of the old stuff so, you know, for it to sound cleaner and things but actually I really like the old recordings it's got character and it's just that was that for that time and I think what we're doing now is something for this time and that's that's a good thing. Of course and, and you, were, you were also going to sing another Nick Drake song for us I think cello yeah. song why yes. did you choose that? It's just one of my favourite Nick Drake songs I taught it to myself when I was a bit younger and uh, it's just always been, I think that one's from Five Leaves Left. Um, and I, yeah, I've just listened to it again and again when I was younger. So when I taught myself guitar, I wanted to make sure I could play, play that song. So. And we're coming towards the church now. Yes. Which is um, just opposite the Bell Pub. <laughs> and it's just so beautifully kept, this village, isn't it? It's is really, With really nice. The nicely mown lawn and the snowdrops are out. Yeah. And uh, some the ivy-covered walls on the right here. Yeah. Should I take you to the grave first? That would or? be lovely to see that, yes. Yeah, so if we go around this, this way, through the graveyard. There's a gate here. Yeah. And you can actually hear a fountain playing in the, uh, in the garden just opposite the church here. Lovely house. <laughs> oh my goodness. Glorious Georgian know, house opposite. Stunning. Covered in ivy and uh, with the beautiful proportions. Yeah. 
So it's actually a really lovely time of year in this graveyard because the daffodils are out mm-hmm. and the crocuses are out. There's purple of crocuses mm-hmm. and uh, daffodils spotting all over the place. Um, time, and yeah. row upon row of gravestones. Oh. And there's the church bell. And this is his family plot here, I believe. Um, so, family yeah. grave here, yeah, Nick Drake, Rodney Drake and Molly Drake. And I think on the back it has a really nice inscription. Just on the back of his headstone it says, Now we rise and we are everywhere. Which is a lovely line from one of his songs, which I think is such a nice thing to have on there. It's a very modest yeah. headstone, isn't it? Quite very a small modest. one. Yeah. But underneath a huge tree here, yeah. beech tree I think, and it says the Drake's family grave is private property. Please do not place any adornments apart from small floral tributes and messages on or near the grave space. Thank you. And people have placed plants and flowers, mm. just small tributes, and the crocuses, purple crocuses growing yeah, around the headstone. Around it. It's lovely, isn't it? Yes. Ooh. What a wonderful it's spot to. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is moving, isn't I know. it? Yes. But I like that people can visit here and. It's quite nice that it's not a huge, a huge thing. It's yeah. just there. So, yeah, little pilgrimage. I wonder if we might sit on that bench over there and sing a song. Yeah, that sounds good. So we do that. Forget this cruel world 
lift me to your place in the Catherine, to hear you sing that sitting right here by yeah. Nick's grave. Special to sing it by Nick's yeah. grave, to be honest. Yeah. You feel quite yeah, emotional. Yeah, it mentions graves and spring, springing, and it all feels very uh, pertinent. Mm. So, yeah. Thank you very much for singing it for yeah, us. You're very welcome. Yeah. Uh, just tell us what's coming next for you, apart from this album yes. of Nick Drake covers. Mm. Yeah. Have you got a second album about to come out? Possibly. Yeah, so this, this single comes out as a little limited edition vinyl single and on digital on the 12th of April and then I think the full LP comes out and then for me I'm currently in the recording process so there will be more music but I can't say for sure when that will be yet yeah mainly focusing on recording at the moment some festivals this summer and then we'll see what happens we'll look forward to all of that it's been amazing to hear you sing in such beautiful surroundings and to hear your stories thank you very much thank indeed you. for joining us on oh. folk on foot anytime you fancy a walk let me know <laughs> i'll definitely take you up on that cheers thank you we rely entirely on support from our listeners to keep folk on foot going so if you've enjoyed this episode why not buy us a coffee just go to folkonfoot.com slash support us While you're there, you can also sign up as a patron. You'll get great rewards, including exclusive access to films and loads of the songs we've heard on our travels around the UK and Ireland, and the chance to be in the audience of just 10 people at a front room gig live on Zoom. Plus, there's the satisfaction of knowing that every penny you give will go back into making more episodes of Folk on Foot. So just go to folkonfoot.com slash support us. The link is in the show notes. Also, please make sure that more people can find us by spreading the word on social media, subscribing or following us on your podcast app, and rating and reviewing us wherever you can. Thank you. Thank you.